You ever use one of these? Some of, some of us uh, uh, do this differently. You look at this, <clears throat> and you're like, hmm, I'm going to try this based on the rules. Uh, other people in my home go, do those stickers peel off? <laughs> right? Uh, if, if some of you, you love these things, and, and you can solve them uh, pretty, pretty easily, uh, good for you. Uh, most of us do this for maybe a few seconds, like that's how we do it. even pick it up for a few seconds. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, no, yeah, no. And we quit, right? This, or, or you get, like me, I think the best I've done is maybe the majority of the colors on one of the sides. And then, though, most of us say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I, in fact, if you're an adult now, you have probably resolved already if you will ever even try to solve this or, or if, if you're done with this, right? The reason I bring this up is, is this, this, I think, is a pretty decent example of life, where you've got a decision to make, you, you're doing something today or tomorrow, something comes in front of you, and it begins to feel like, well, I know what to do, and, and you begin to move some of the pieces that you know about, but then most oftentimes, if it's a relationship or a financial struggle, or, or if it's really like some of the actions that we just do on a daily basis, it gets so complicated, so cumbersome, that we're like, I don't, I don't even know how to do it. And you just don't do it. And life doesn't actually have to be near. I think, I think we treat life actually like it's too complicated, and it's not. It's difficult, yes. But it's not overly complicated. And I think I've got some proof. There's a book in the Bible that is known as aggressively going after making our walk with Jesus a faith in God not nearly as cumbersome and confusing. It begins to help us figure this out. It's the book of James, if you don't know that. The book of James is a, it's a pretty cool book. If, let me give you some nerdy history for those of you who are nerds like me. Uh, if you don't know, the book of James is the first book in the New Testament that was written. You're like, but it's not before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm aware of that. But around 45 to 50 AD, the book was written by the brother of Jesus, or the half-brother, however you want to look at it. So a guy that knew Jesus, and anybody who like, walked with Jesus, especially like semi-related to him, I'd like to know what he has to say. Some about Jesus, others just about life. The book of James is considered to be in the New Testament the Proverbs of the New Testament. If you've never read Proverbs in the Old Testament, it's 31 chapters of just life goodness, like very short, do this and it works. Do this and it works. Like do this. It's very practical, Proverbs is. So is James. If you've ever tried to walk with God and it not seem very practical, where you're like, yeah, the Bible says this, but my life kind of looks like that. James says, let me bring up what's really going on in your life and teach you how to walk through that so it doesn't have to be so confusing. So uh, let me show you where James starts. Um, it'll be fun. He just starts off with this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. You want to do a different series? It kind of sounds like, nah. <laughs> like, no. You ever read the Bible and it annoy you? If you're not willing to admit it, I will. 
Uh, and, and it stinks when someone's like starting off a, a letter or a book and starts off going, hey, here, let's go where life really is going. Um, you have troubles and you need to consider them opportunities of great joy. Meanwhile, most of us are like, don't relate whatsoever to that. During this series, we're going to do several what's called word studies. That's where I take the original Greek uh, and translate it for us all and help us figure this out. So let me show you a word study. That brought up the word troubles. You heard that and read that. Troubles. That you and I are supposed to take our troubles and be like, this is amazing. I'm so excited for this. No. So troubles, in the original language, the original hearers would have heard it in this language, and it was meant this way. An experiment. A trial. Approving, and I want to really harp on proving. Many of the things going on in your life right now that you don't like, that I don't like, that we would say, not the option I would have chosen, many of them are not God trying to beat you up. It's not God ignoring you. It's approving time. So it's okay to say, I don't love it. But we've got to talk about some really honesty stuff about trials. Trials are not a waste of time. We need to stop calling them that. And especially in our brains thinking that way. At least that's what I do. When I have a problem, uh, <clears throat> car breaks down, relationship issue, uh, someone's not doing what I think they, well, what I know they should do, or, or, or when things, something breaks, whatever. And you begin to say, okay, okay, I don't like what's going on. This is a complete waste of time because I've got better things to be doing, right? When we have our problems, we don't typically say, so glad this showed up today, because this is when I wanted it, right? We consider it for the most part, any problem you and I face to be a complete, utter waste of time. If you treat it that way, you will waste time. So whatever you're going through right now, or whatever you do go through, Whatever you just came out of, I can assure you of something. It was not designed to be a waste of time where God was just trying to pause you for no reason. In fact, I can tell you the lesson. If you don't want to listen to the rest of the sermon, probably shouldn't do that, but oh well. God cares more about the quality of your character than the difficulty of your circumstances. Going to have a dad talk with you today, okay? Now, by the way, for those of you who like to jump to conclusions, I did not just say that the difficulty of your circumstances don't matter to God. I said the quality of your character is more important to him. And so we've got to talk about, I love how James opens up, let's, let's have real talk. He doesn't go through fluff going, so how was your day? What's the weather like? He opens up with saying, you got trials. They're opportunities. Okay, so what's going on? I think I could tell you through something that happened in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, in Oracle, Arizona, this was created. It's called Biosphere, Biosphere 2, I think. Uh, some of you are like, what in the world? Here's what this was. <clears throat> A group of scientists wanted to resolve, could we live on another planet and grow what needs to be grown and thrive in ways that we need to thrive? And so <clears throat> where do you go to another planet? Arizona. And so, <clears throat> so they, they create the biosphere in Arizona, and, and it's full of, of everything that you and I might call paradise. Perfect air, 
perfect soil, perfect temperature, perfect light. And they planted things and grew things. And it's awesome. I mean, things grew. It, it, you walk in, absolutely beautiful. And they feel like, okay, so how long can we live in this environment and grow this in this contained biosphere? Key on the biosphere. Well, something began to happen that had them going, what in the world's going on? The trees that they planted <clears throat> grew. And then one day, the trees fell. Like, pfft, right? Just so you know what a tree falling is like. <laughs> That's the exact sound. Well, they're scientists. So they're like, things aren't dying. Why are the trees just collapsing? And they realized that they had forgotten one crucial element to growing things. Do you know what it is? Wind. In the biosphere, there was no wind. And if you don't know what plants and specifically trees do, they rely on the wind. And as they're doing this a little bit, moving around, they're their roots, it tells the roots, go deeper and get stronger. Go deeper and get stronger. Go deeper and get stronger. In other words, trees actually need a little bit of a problem. I wonder if that relates to you and I. I mean, we're in South Dakota, for the most part, unless you're listening online. We talk very poorly about the wind. We are not fans <coughs> of the wind. Before Katie and I moved here, it was windy, and we said, hey, is this normal? They were like, no. And I'm like, now we know. They just lied to us because that was the only thing. <laughs> Most of us don't, if you cho chose your perfect day, there wouldn't be a big wind. And if you walked the rest of your life and said, I want to create the perfect climate for my life, you would say, no wind, please. No trials. But James knew what he was talking about. Let me, let me show you as he keeps writing. For you know that when your faith is tested, see, he didn't just say, hey, you're going to have problems, there are opportunities, deal with it. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Just stop for a second. Whatever you're going through right now is not a waste of time. God sees it most likely as I can grow you. I can strengthen you and you need it. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, modern-day American Christians see, I'll be perfect? I don't think so. Let's go back to doing a word study, and this will help us a little bit. Perfect and complete. The original language says things like this. The original hearers would have heard, you will be mature and free from sin. Now, there's still a problem nowadays, because most of it say free from sin. Ugh, David, you don't know who I live with. <laughs> they make me sin. You don't know where I work. David, come on, everyone's, everyone's imperfect. Sin is just natural, not according to God. And one of the greatest traps of the devil is to tell you that sin is so common, you should expect it and welcome it into your life. 
Meanwhile, in the midst of our trials, and why does God even allow temptations? God is trying to grow us up. If you've ever wondered why does God let certain things happen, he knows it can prove something in you. It can grow something in you and get your roots to where they need to be so he can take you to where you want to be and where he wants you to be. Mature and free from sin. However, our approach to life is more like the biosphere. I want you to think about your parenting right now. I want you to think about how you run your business. Teachers, I want you to listen up. Principals, school administrators, please. Our approach to life right now looks more like this, where we don't want to train people to function in the regular environment. We are building biosphere after biosphere after biosphere all over people's lives. Here's my summary. We do everything within our power to create emotional, relational, and spiritual biospheres. Would you like to know why so many people, all of a sudden, they're released from their homes, they're mature, or they're, sorry, they're, they're technically adults, and then they, they, they leave home. And do you understand, like, we're going, why, why does this upcoming generation seem to <clears throat> struggle with certain things? And, and why are some of these elite people that we are following and they're leaders of ours, why aren't they functioning the way that they ought to? And I'm telling you, because life brings pressure, East probably amend that. Anyways, life brings pressure. There's, there's pressure. Life brings pressure. And if you've ever wondered, like, it seems like the pressure just keeps taking everyone out. It's because we've created biospheres around so many people because out of safety, security, risk management. So we're sending people out with weak root systems wondering why the wind is blowing them down. It's because we live in a culture now, especially our nation, who thinks the wind and trials and all that stuff is the worst thing in this world. So we don't let our kids sacrifice. We don't risk. We think the best option in life is safety. With that in your head, can I, I'm gonna show you something about God. It's pretty cool. Exodus 13, God has, he's freeing these slaves who have been slaves forever, like just 400 plus years. They've been slaves. God frees them from slavery. It's really cool. The Israelites left Sukkoth and camped at Ethaim on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He's freed them. He's walking them out into freedom. This is awesome. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. We'll talk about this. And he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. Have you ever prayed for that? I have. Have you ever, like, you've got a decision to make? You're processing something? God, all I need from you is a pillar of fire. Just set it over that person's head, and that's who I will marry. Just do that. Uh, or, or which house to buy, or where to move, or which job to take. Have you ever wanted that from God, like that he would just literally physically like either speak, which would freak us out, or, or put something out, give me a sign in the sky. And the Israelites got it. So unfair. <laughs> so unfair. But they, they, if you're thinking, this is not like metaphorical. 
He literally woke up. Where do we go? Follow that. (laughs) Some days I just want that kind of decision making. Just follow that thing. I mean, so God frees them from slavery, a horrible, they were, they were mistreated, abused, it was absolutely horrific, and frees them. And not only does he free them, he basically holds their hand, says, come this way. I mean, it sounds like God is so close to them and, and loves them and cares for them, right? It's, it's in your private prayer time, what you ask of God and want of God, it seems like, yeah, that's what I want. God, hold my hand in a cloud of fire, that'd be cool too, but just... Can we, can we have that relationship, God? Well, you're going to think that's all God if you don't keep reading the Bible. Hopefully you're aware of what God does next after he's holding their hand. The next chapter, then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses, order the Israelites, who I just freed from slavery, to turn back. Tells them to camp at a bunch of stuff. I don't like camping, so I took it out of there. (laughs) So he tells Moses, hey, you know all these people that I just freed? Turn them around. Head them back towards their enslavers. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused, because they will be. Uh, The Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. Aren't you excited? I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camp there as they were told. Let me help you understand exactly what just happened. God's like, I'm freeing you. All your prayers for centuries I have answered. And not only have I freed you, let me hold your hand, pillar of fire or cloud, depending on the nighttime or the daytime. This is going to be easy and epic. And they're like, see, we love God. Isn't he, ni- isn't he nice that he's doing this? Right? Then all of a sudden, Moses says, hey, everybody, chill out for a second. God wants us to turn around and go back towards the Egyptians. I just mess with some of your views of God. Because many of you say, God would never do that. God would never walk these nice, innocent people that he freed back into trouble. He did just that. He freed them from slavery and said, all right, let's go back. I want to show off for a little bit. Why would he do that? Most theologians believe very simple. Uh, They weren't ready. If you read, you'll learn they weren't ready. God was going to take them to a land that he had promised them and that they were so excited about, had been written about, they had studied it, memorized it, sang songs about it. They were going to a place God was going to prepare for them. And, and they were excited, but they weren't ready for it. They proved that over and over and over and over and over and over again. They weren't ready. Um, I say this as nicely as I can. You're not ready for everything in your life that you're going to face. You're not. And the things that you face now are designed to get your roots a little bit deeper, a little bit stronger. Because who you are becoming 
is important to God. I want to tell you something. September 17th at 11.20 a.m. Our son Hayden, our, our oldest son, if you don't know who he is, uh, was driving down a road we call Mount Rushmore Road on his way to the barber. He was planning to get his senior pictures not too long from them, and so he was he had the day off from school and was going to get his hair cut. Uh, someone ran a red light and hit him really hard. Um, the problem with this scenario isn't just that his car got hit and him being in it and that being a first-time experience. If you've ever been in a car accident, you know how no matter how slow or fast, it's just violent. <clears throat> it's a senior year. Uh, the car that you are seeing is a car he saved up for. We shopped and shopped and shopped, and when you're 16 and 17 years old and you're saving money, your options of cars are limited. <laughs> Because we're a family that doesn't, we try not to do any debt at all. And uh, so we're like, here's, here's what you got. And, and God provided it in such a cool way. I mean, it was like a gift from the Lord. Nice Honda Civic. And uh, for guys like Hayden and I that are a certain height, they're fun to watch us drive in those things. <clears throat> and, uh, but he was proud. I don't know if you remember your first car, if you ever had a first car. Most of us regret ever getting rid of our first cars. We're like, oh, I wish I still had that kind of thing, even though it was probably a piece of trash. Yeah. He was so, so proud of it. In fact, sometimes when we couldn't find Hayden in the house, Hayden was sitting in his car listening to music, you know, doing whatever teenagers do in the car or whatever in the driveway. So within a second, uh, at no fault of his own, that car is no longer an option. Uh, Airbags deploy, if you don't know anything, if they all deploy that car, that car be done, and it was done. At the time, Katie and I and her parents, we were all out near Sylvan Lake. If you've ever tried to use a cell phone near Sylvan Lake, good luck on that one. <clears throat> well, to complicate everything, uh, we weren't with them, but that car wreck took away his his, his independence for a little bit. A week later, he would find out that he tested positive for COVID, which then put him in his room by himself, dwelling on, I don't have a car anymore. And I kind of feel yucky. <laughs> he began to miss football games. Hayden was one of the captains of his football team, senior Started every game this year. It was his year. And I remember getting a text. Sent it to way our family, we're very open with each other. We have a family group text. Everyone sees it. And he simply wrote, why is everything getting ripped from my hands this year? His health, football, car. Now grades were a struggle because he had missed so much school. Why is everything getting ripped from my hands? It led me to a question. He asked it, but I think you do too. What do we do with trials and temptations? What's a Christian's response? Someone who says, I love Jesus. I like him. What's our response 
when we face this stuff. You may, the, the car story may not be a big deal to you, but I tell you, I assure you, to a 17, 18-year-old, it's the biggest thing that's ever happened to him in his life. You've got your biggest thing that's ever happened. What do you do? Like, James, would you help us please? And he does. James chapter 1. If you need wisdom, just leaving room for amens, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. Now, some of you are already forgetting what we've been learning. We've been learning that technically God says, he told James to write this, that when you have trials, you should consider them opportunities of great joy. Yay! Uh, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, the God who is allowing what you're going through. Don't disconnect some of this. And he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking for wisdom. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. If you don't understand what he just said, he's like, don't just ask him for advice and decide if you like it or not. You ever had that happen to you? Every parent has. Every boss has. What should I do? Mm, don't like that. God's saying that. Don't ask me for wisdom and then think that your wisdom is better than his. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Now, okay, what that just said was that God is worth trusting, that you could, you could trust God, that, that you can go to God, whatever you're facing right now or ever face in the future. What's your, James says, your first response, number one, don't go to the internet. Now watch, though, you don't first go to your parents. You don't first go to your best friend. Oh, let me help. Don't first go to your pastor. You go to God first. And you say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't like this. I need wisdom. Now, God might then deliver it through the people I just told you not to go to first. You can go to them second. But do you know what that all really said about trusting God and going different wisdom? Here, temptations and trials don't change who God is rooting for. This is the lie of the devil, that as soon as you face problems, God's no longer rooting for you. See, the devil will constantly challenge the goodness of God in your life because he doesn't want you thinking God is good. He wants you to think, if you have bad, it means, well, it means God doesn't care. God is always rooting for you, always rooting for you, whether or not you see it. So I'm going to take you into something very personal. I've asked permission. I told you that Katie and I were at Sylvan Lake that day when Hayden had his accident. I'm going to walk you through something I share with my son because I, I guess let me give you some backstory. The reason I, I wrote this down is I use the notes app in my phone quite a bit. And when my son asks me, why is everything being ripped from me? He's beginning to question, does God even see me anymore? 
And anytime someone asks you, does God see me? Sometimes that's a prompting from God to help them understand that God does see them. And so I took on my role in that moment as parent. I need my son to know that God sees him. God, would you help me know how you see him? And here's what played out. This is just what I wrote in my notes. 1024, I got a text from the printer needing to talk. To those of you who know, I wrote a book. Uh, Katie and I self-published it, so <clears throat> I hired a printer to print it. And we're out in the middle of the hills, and I get a text. We don't have service, but sometimes you still get a text. It's annoying, but you get a text, and it's like this taunting, you don't have service, but guess what? I need communication. <clears throat> so I can't return the phone call, but we're out with the family enjoying the hills. 1040, I drop everyone off at Sylvan Lake, literally, quite literally, get out of the car, please. I got to go make a phone call because if this can't get printed, that means the church can't have access to the books. So I'm going to go drive to get cell service. Who knows where that's at? I'm just going to start heading towards Custer. And at some point along the road, my phone's going to ding and let me know I have cell service and I could call the printing company and ask them, what in the world do you want? No gas in the car. I love my wife so much. But as I pull off the side of the road on my way to Custer, and I'm going to make a phone call, I glance at the gas gauge and go, uh-oh. I'm going to run out of gas in the middle of nowhere and create more problems. So now I've got to drive all the way into Custer. And then that's when I'll make my phone call. Call the print company. Guess what? They didn't really need to talk. Now I'm creating a list of people that I don't like anymore. 11.05, my card keeps getting declined in the stupid gas machine. Now, the card I'm using, there's plenty of money. I don't know what's going on. It's never happened before, and it's never happened since. I'm putting my card in there. It's saying no. I'm like, no, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Stick it in harder. So it takes forever to get gas. 11.17, after I've gassed up, called the printing company. They didn't need anything. And yes, got some snacks because... That's my weakness. <laughs> Eleven eighteen as I'm driving away, I just have this thought, call Hayden. He needs to remember he's going to the barber. He needs to tip the barber. Yes, we're training our kids, like this is how you live life. And sometimes he's doing things on his own. He needs to remember, like, tip them. My best guess is 45 seconds to 60 seconds before I round a corner and I lose service. I get a text. I wrecked. I'm scared. Literally 45 more seconds, I don't get that text. Till hours upon hours later. So I call him. Because I can in that little blip on that road. And if you don't know Hayden, he has a a speech block. It's not always easy for him to say what he wants to say. I said, what can I do for you, son? And he asked if I'd call 911. And so I was able to call 911 for him. My son lost his car. He sat up multiple football games, got COVID, grades tanked because of it and struggled. But I had to show him God did give you a gift in all of this. He saw you and knew the one thing that you actually really, really needed, and that was to talk to one of your parents for a few minutes. 
So I asked permission, hey, can I share this stuff with a few of my friends? <laughs> he said, of course. In fact, let me get real personal with you. This is our text exchange. Amongst, I'm not showing you everything. And here's what he said. I said, Hayden, what would you tell Hayden before all of this? What would you tell him? And here's what Hayden would say. The unexpected happens. You may not even know why it happened, but it's for a purpose. Keep in mind, this is an 18-year-old. And I trusted God, and he provided a better car than I had. And that's a whole story for another thing, but he does. He has got a better car than he had. I mean, come on. That doesn't always happen. For those of you like, pastor said that it gets better. <laughs> and so my pastoring mind clicked in. Do you mind if I share what you learned? I don't mind for sure. But then he followed up with something that you need to see, and it really messes with me. Even if the purpose of all my troubles was for your sermon... wow, you're a good kid. <laughs> what, what we've been walking, this all happened in September. Um, what we've been walking Hayden through, I think is, forgive me for assuming something on you, is something that many of us have been walking through. Trials, tribulations, problems. And here's what happens in all of those. You get focused on one of two things. The problem God is allowing or the presence God is offering. And I don't know what you're walking through or whatever you will walk through the rest of your life. I don't know. I don't know those details. And many of them are, are not a big deal and some of them are things I cannot even imagine walking through. And will God heal you every single time? No, the answer is no. Will God protect you from all pain? Definitely not. But what do you do in the midst of your trials and tribulations? James gives us all this incredible wisdom. One, go to God for wisdom. But this oozing all over through the whole book is, but God just wants to be with you. Are you cool with God being with you? And God will be with you and he will see you and he will know what you're feeling and thinking. And it may hurt and it may not have all of the answers to why answered. But Christians, if you're a Christian, can we start saying the presence of God is better than anything? So James continues to write, and in verse 12 says something that goes a little bit beyond our normal life. God blesses those who patiently endure. If you're considering, am I going to endure this? God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. You're like, ooh, bring the blessing. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. Guess what my son does not have? Any kind of crown anywhere in his room. So this helps you understand that James is actually talking a little bit bigger than just this life. Sometimes we think following God is about just getting to heaven. What about knowing God before you get to heaven? What about a relationship with him where he's not someone foreign to you? And James is saying... How you endure your trials has eternal ramifications, not just this earth. 
I hope that helps you as you walk through. James is so good. It's my mom's favorite book. But it gives us some practical things. So life is like, I'm having these problems. What do I do? How do I solve this? What's the money problem and the relationship problem and the job problem and the house problem? No, no. Just go to God for wisdom and trust that his presence is going to be good enough and that's all you actually do need. So here's what I'd like us to do. I want to pray, but I want to pray for you specifically. So here's what I want to do. If you are walking through right now a trial, a difficulty, or maybe you even know someone that is walking through that, what I'd like to do is I want to pray for you, and the way to do that, I'm going to ask you to stand up if that is you. So as I pray, I just know who I'm praying for. Make sense? So if that's you, stand up, wherever you are, whatever location, anywhere. Okay, so I figured. And everyone else look around and know that you might not be going through a trial, but one day you will. And when you aren't, others are. And so it is our charge that we pray for those, no matter who are going through trials, but we pray for them. So let me pray for everyone. God, you see the folks standing. You know the ones who want it to. So Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would surround those who are walking through whatever they are walking through. God, you know every detail, even details they don't know. You know every answer that they're asking and begging and with questions, just littering them in front of you, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would give them peace. Peace that you see them and that you are planning to do a good work through it. God, would you strengthen their roots? Would you deepen them, broaden them, and help them endure? And God, whatever story, whatever work you're doing through it, would you make it known and encourage others with it, encourage us with it? God, help us to be a church that trusts you in the good and the bad. We love you with all of our hearts. Praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.